Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill. You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Allie, I am so excited to share Lauren's story on the podcast today. I know. I don't know if our listeners, if you are ready for this, there are so many layers to Lauren's story. There are multiple jaw droppers. There are cliffhangers. What else, Catherine? Uh, it involves a mole in a supervise, or a supervision group. It involves pay fraud, getting fired, and abandoning clients. So many things. We hope you guys are excited for this episode because it is so multi-layered <laughs> and I think I think you know when I say all those things it sounds like it's going to be so unrelatable but I could relate to every single piece of what Lauren shares yeah and so you know I think all our listeners are going to be able to relate to at least one port one piece of it if not all of it mm-hmm. and it's a wild ride so hang on tight and as a friendly reminder this episode is for entertainment purposes only it is not a substitute for therapy supervision or ethical consultation All right, and this is episode number 13 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. And today we have Lauren with us. Welcome. Thank you. So Lauren, before we hear about why you're a bad therapist, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Lauren Kaufman, and I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor and supervisor. (laughs) Um, My state changed the license name like a few years ago. It used to be a lot shorter. So I still have to like (laughs) say it really slowly. Um, And I have been independently licensed and then became a supervisor um, licensed um, a couple years ago and independently licensed for about eight years, I think. I'm really bad at math. And I um, focus on perinatal mental health, so working with people who um, 
are pregnant or about to be pregnant and have had babies pretty much any time in the past. I love working with all different types of parents um, and even parents of adult children. So um, that's kind of my focus. I have um, a group practice that is only expanded to my husband. Um, we'll add people um, a little bit later once we get all the group stuff figured out. Um, and yeah, that's, that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, and let's yeah. dive right into it. What is the story that you're going to share with us that made you ask yourself if you were a bad therapist? Set the scene for us. Yeah. Yeah. So this happened um, a long time ago. Um, this happened at my very first place that I worked at after grad school. And it was a community mental health agency. And I was working as a school-based therapist. Um and I had this all started maybe two months after I got my full independent license. Um, and I worked there for almost three years um, while I was getting hours for my licensure. And um, I actually didn't have a lot of training in how to work with kids at all in my undergrad or my graduate degree. Um, I didn't really want to work with kids, but this was one of the only jobs that was open for provisionally licensed um, people at the time. And um, people really didn't do private practice um, when this was happening. Mm -hmm. So like there just wasn't a lot of practices around my area and certainly not for provisionally licensed. Um, so I took the job and I was very clear that I wanted just a high school. Um, and um, I wound up in two elementary schools, oh, <laughs> which was really hard, but I worked my way up each year. They added like a little bit higher grades to my caseload. Um, until I finally got my last year, I was just with high school students. Um, and it was really nice. I love working with high school kids. Um, I think they're really neat. It's an exciting time. Um, so I got to really enjoy it. Yeah. So I was working with high school kids and, um, all the while I was looking for other jobs and, um, I finally found a job. Um, I had had many interviews, but finally found a job and um, I took it and um, I gave my notice to uh, my school-based agency and I said that I would finish out the school year. Um, I had some clients who were graduating and I just wanted to, you know, finish out my work with them. I didn't think that it would be great to like end services a month before they graduate. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were stressed about it. They were nervous about it. They didn't know what they were going to do for the rest of their life. Um, and so I put in this notice that I would work. And then around um, like May, mid-May, I would just kind of only see the people who really needed to be seen until their final exams. So then we had a group supervision um, that was for all the people who are provisionally licensed. And one of the things that was so great about my agency are the people that I met working there. I had a super solid friends group. Like I'm still friends with many of them today. 
Um, and it was, it was just a really awesome group of people. Um, and so I really loved the supervision group. And even though I had just gotten my license and didn't technically need it anymore, I still participated in the group because I just loved that. And we were all at different schools. So it was a time for us to all like really be together and talk through and have some type of camaraderie besides like arguing with, you know, the teachers and the principal and like whatever, you know, trying to get services and arguing with the Medicaid and whatever. Um, so I really, really liked it. And um, I kept going um, all the way up until it got too close to the end of the school year. And we kind of had our last or one of our last supervision groups. And we went out to a park. So we were away from the office. We weren't at anybody's school. And it was kind of a place where we could maybe be more free. Um, and so we all just were kind of like, saying all these things that were so hard about working for our agency and just complaining um, and just kind of like letting off steam. Um, and I was um, at that point because I had put in my notice and I had this other job lined up, I was maybe a little bit more free in what I would say than I normally would and kind of like really got people into like saying stuff. Um, and, but it just felt so good to get stuff off my chest and other people were feeling like really good about it too. Just super helpful. Um, and a few days later, um, or maybe even less, this is where it all gets fuzzy because it gets really intense. Um, I am told that I'm going to have a meeting with the director of our local agency the regional director and the state director. Oh my gosh. And the state director is like, maybe they would go to like one local site. A, like they would go to it like once a year. Whoa. Um, and so for them to come and meet with me was like a huge deal. And I was like, what? Why? <laughs> and so apparently there was, I call it a mole in our supervision group so there was someone in our supervision group that um, was a direct in a director position, like a, I don't know, adult services director, like something like that. And um, they were in the group for their supervision hours. They still had a very small caseload, but they felt their loyalty was to the company. Wow. And so they shared with the higher ups, what we were saying in the supervision group. And um, yeah, so oh. we were all shocked and like super betrayed that like this person shared with the higher ups what we were talking about and what we thought was confidential supervision. Um, and they even made a big deal about her joining and they were like, you know, she understands that this is confidential and this is for her hours and to be talking about like work with the people that she has on her caseload. Um, but since I guess we weren't talking about individual people and we were talking about the company in general, I think maybe she felt that wasn't confidential. I don't know, but it was really upsetting that um, we didn't realize that that was going to be happening. Oh, whoa. So here you are working how many years are you at the agency at this point 
So this was, I have to go by school years because it wasn't uh-huh. full years, but this uh-huh. was my third school year. So you were with this agency for three school years. You had a really awesome group supervision dynamic, um, really good friends in this group supervision. You had already secured a job outside of the agency and were wrapping up your caseload, vented a little too much, maybe not even too much, just vented at group supervision, which we thought the the premises was confidential. And here a administrator or a leader who had joined your group under the premise of our accruing supervision hours went back and told administration and you got called in for a meeting with the state uh, what director yeah wow what yeah. happened yeah what happened next how'd that meeting oh go my gosh. <laughs> it was really intense um so i wanted to be prepared for the meeting and i kind of had this idea of like I already have a job lined up. I'm the safest person to be speaking truth to power. And um, like, what could they do? You're not backing down. This is great. No. (laughs) So I went and I told everybody. I told everybody who was in our group supervision. I told people with different licensures who were in not in our group supervision what was going on. And I was like, So I have this meeting. Why don't you all just give me all of your feedback? I'll make a huge list and then I'll just tell them all the stuff that we think is going on. Um, Can I just interject for a second? I'm so curious. Why were you the only one or were you the only one who got called for a meeting out of the entire group? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there was one other person who did. And so I... She and I were both chosen um, because I was like saying stuff about like the company's reputation in the schools. And um, I was also talking about like sharing stuff with the school staff that I had grown really close to. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think they were trying to protect the image of the company. and that's why they chose me because the other people were just like complaining, but mm-hmm. I was talking about the image of the company. And then this other person was talking about, um, which we'll get more into in the, in the um, meeting with the higher ups, but they were talking about some uh, like illegal pay practices that they were engaged in. Okay. Yeah. And so they were pretty upset with both of us. Wow. All right. So you collected everyone's thoughts. You were preparing for the meeting. Then what happened? Yeah. So I was really prepared with this list, but emotionally I was like terrified. Even though I had this job lined up. I mean, I was like, what if they call the other job and are like, this person's horrible. Like you don't know until you start working somewhere if your job is secure and even then it's not. Um, so I was, yeah, just so anxious about it. Um, but trying to really lean into this could help people. Um, and the company needs to change. So I just really leaned into that. Um, and then the day of the meeting came around and, um, oh, there's some other important backstory before we get to this. Um, so in the midst of all this is this really important interview with the state Medicaid people, because in, um, my state there's like, or it used to be at least this weird thing where it would take a while for you once you got your license to get 
um, approved again to do Medicaid. And all those hours in between getting fully licensed and getting approved to do Medicaid, if you if they end up not approving you, the company has to pay back all mm-hmm. of those hours. And so at mm-hmm. this point, it had been maybe two months mm-hmm. of sessions that I was doing. And so um, I had to ace this interview or the company would have to pay back thousands of dollars. So I, the company had some skin in the game in this meeting going really well because they wouldn't want me to get upset and then ruin like the Medicaid situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we have this meeting and I go in there and it's intense. The um, state director is not someone to mess around with. They were definitely going like the fear tactic route. Um, And it was, it was pretty much as bad, maybe worse than how I imagined it was in my head. It it was just so intense. And I had never really been in like a business meeting like that, like never with someone who I perceived as being so powerful. And um, it was intense. They were basically trying to make me feel like I was um, like stupid and silly forever thinking anything that they were doing was wrong. Mm. Um, And it was just very like demeaning and um, intense. And I tried to like ignore those comments and just kind of like persevere. And I was like, finally, I got the opportunity to say, I have an entire list of things that you all are doing. And they were like, oh, well, let me see that list. Like they were, (laughs) they did not care. And they were basically like, sweet. Now we can, you know, bat each of these things away one at a time. And so I start going through the list and they're like arguing every single point back to me about how I was really unprofessional to share anything like that with my school colleagues. And I mean, it was just like, you know, about how they want us to bill and how they wanted us to go to people's houses, like when they were out with the flu, just so that we could continue with sessions, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't like so horrible that I was sharing that with some of the staff, you know, because they were wondering why I was like asking weird questions about my people who didn't show up. And so I was like, well, the company wants me to at least try, you know. Um, But then we got to sharing about the illegal pay practices, which didn't even affect me. This was, again, something on the list that other people shared with me. Um, And so I shared about that and they basically tried to gaslight me about it and were saying, you know, that we don't actually do that. I've never heard of anybody who told you this. Um, And so um, I told them that I actually have this paper proof that um, they were engaged in these practices and the whole atmosphere of the meeting changed they were just like shocked and scared. Mm. Um, And I told them everything that was on the paper and how it outlined what we needed to do, um, what they were asking us to do that was not okay. And um, 
So the whole mood changed and they went into like damage control and they were very pleasant all of a sudden in that like, you know, saccharine, like fake pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, thank you for bringing this to our attention and just really over the top about it. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was really amazing to see that 180. Um, So yeah, then from there, like, I think it was right after the meeting, I went directly to the Medicaid interview. Oh my gosh, what a day. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Why would they plan that? (laughs) I have no idea. And it may have been like a day in between, like it may not have been exactly then, like there may have been some time, but in my mind, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. years later, it's all the same day. Like, I have no idea. It was rough. But I think they did that so that they could scare me into doing well in the Medicaid thing. But then once I showed that card um, that changed everything, then they were like, okay, we have to pick a new strategy to help her do this Medicaid thing. Um, So I went into the Medicaid meeting and immediately after the Medicaid meeting, so I think it was a different day, I was called back in. This time the state director was not there, um, but it was the director of like that, our location was there. Um, And... They said to me that um, I had passed the Medicaid interview, um, and even though I still had another month to work out my notice, that they were actually asking me to leave that day. And they would continue to pay me until the end of my notice. And the most important thing was that this was May 1st. And so I was actually able to have health insurance the whole month of May without paying for it. Um, But yeah, they said I could not go to any of my offices to pack up my stuff and that I was not allowed to be on the premises much longer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Are you looking to incorporate more creativity into your clinical practice, but don't know where to start? As a registered art therapist, I truly believe that every clinician can utilize creativity in what they do. I absolutely love offering consultation and supervision to share with clinicians how to ethically incorporate therapeutic art making into their clinical practice. I focus on easy and simple interventions with very little prep work for you and your clients. Visit www.cccs.care to learn more. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. And now back to the show. So obviously you didn't get to terminate with your clients. No, I didn't get to terminate with any of them. 
And it was, I was stunned. I mean, I felt like I had been hit with like a wall of bricks. I mean, it was just shocking that I couldn't terminate with any of my clients. I couldn't even go to the schools and talk to the administrative staff and tell them what was happening. I couldn't say goodbye to anybody. And um, like they took everything that day. They took my phone, they took, with I, I had my own laptop, they like shut down my logins and I had to like be escorted to my somewhat new boss who was actually a friend of mine for her to talk more about the details and find out all the where all my different offices were in the different schools and she went and got all of my stuff and brought it to my house later that day wow what was the reasoning that they gave you for this did they give you a reason like uh, i'm so curious there was there was no reason they they just thanked me for passing the interview and that was it. That's so and they unethical. Just said that they didn't. I know. I just I, and I said over that. So like you've been working with these students for years. Yeah. There are some of them are approaching graduation yeah. and here you, you don't even know what they told how they explained your departure to your clients. Exactly. exactly. Like you, oh. Yeah. Just like not knowing like, what would they think of me? Would they be, I was also worried that they would think something bad had happened to me. Like I was in a car accident or like, you know, I, and these kids had been through so much trauma, like this was all Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they have gone through different therapists almost every school year, like just so much change. Um, which was like one of the ways that I was able to eventually like be somewhat okay with it. Like this wasn't the first time any Mm. of these kids had experienced that. It didn't make it okay, but like it helped me not like lose months of sleep over it. (laughs) You know, just being like, okay, well this has happened before. They probably think, you know, something out, like I just couldn't work my notice or something like that. Um, it, but it did not feel good. Like that was just ways I used to try to rationalize it. So I wasn't like completely like destroyed about it. Oh my God. So it sounds Um, like, it sounds like you knew you weren't a bad therapist, but you were in a situation that potentially made others think you were a bad therapist. Your clients, your administration, you knew you were doing the right thing, but the situation didn't allow for you to be a good therapist to your clients. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's exactly it. Like I knew I was operating in the best way that I could, um, but I wasn't able to like, you know, shared that part of the story with people so they could just they just could assume that I was a therapist who abandons their clients I'm like still really that they would prioritize like they're a mental health agency and they are not thinking about client care and that course of treatment and termination I'm just still so stuck on that part yeah I am too. I mean, it was just like a few weeks Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to prioritize their image over Mm -hmm. providing adequate care, I mean, is just shocking because also none of the other therapists would be able to like take 
on the people that I was leaving. They would just have no therapy until the next school year. But if they're graduating, they're done. They're done. Did you ever think, Lauren, did you ever think about reaching out to them and and contacting them even though you were terminated? Did that ever cross your mind? I it did. Yeah. I very much wanted to. Um, but because they were in schools and they were public schools, mm-hmm. there was no way that I could even go anywhere in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't at that point an approved mm-hmm. person to be on school property. Mm-hmm. Like I I didn't have any kids that of my own in the schools. I didn't have kids at the time at all. So I definitely couldn't have been like, my kid goes to school in high school. Um, I had them when I was four years old. (laughs) Um, so I couldn't go on to campus. I couldn't, um, you know, even really like they, they wouldn't have been able to tell me anything about my students anyways, because of FERPA, which is protecting the kids' confidentiality. Um, So it was just like a mess with HIPAA and FERPA and then school security. So I definitely thought about it, though. Um, At least like trying to get messages, like letters Mm -hmm. um, to my clients. But I think it was just, I was too afraid that something would happen if I did that. Um, especially because they were still like paying me. Mm-hmm. And and so it was just too murky. Yeah. But I definitely mm-hmm. wanted to. And I still think about all of those clients um, to this day, at least the ones who I hadn't like just started working with, who, you know, were just like, whatever. Um, but the ones who I'd been working with longer, I still think about those clients today and hope that they're okay. And hope I run into them out in public (laughs) and can be like, and they come up to me, of course, I wouldn't go up to them, but hope that they come up to me so that I can say, here's what really happened. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm curious, did you, you said that you had a good cohort of like peers that were in, there were other clinicians and that you had connections with the school staff. Did you talk to them on like a friendly level of like, this is what happened? Did you hear anything else from them or what were their responses like on that friend level? Not like, you know, again, that they were colleagues anymore. Yeah. So it was actually a little complicated because one of our friend friends had become my boss Mm -hmm. and so but we were all still friends so it was tough because I like she wasn't a part of this decision but she was the one who had to carry out the decision Mm -hmm. um and so I didn't hold anything against her but I still I felt awful for putting her in that situation so there was a lot of shame Mm -hmm. for like causing all of this stuff to happen even though if I had known it was going to happen, I may have done things a little bit differently, but probably not actually. Um, but it was just hard to access support with my friends because I didn't want my friend who was my boss to be vilified in any way. Um, she was just being told what to do. And she actually left um, like a month or two after. And that leads to the next part, which is that it turned out that 
maybe 20 to 30 people left in the months following this. Um, a lot were my friends, a lot were people who I didn't know, but they heard what had happened. Wow. And um, it was kind of started this like mass exodus. And um, eventually that company even started losing contracts with the schools. And it just kind of changed everything. Um, so I was able to get support, especially once people started leaving. Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of hear more about how what I did impacted them um, for the good, for good, like helping them leave and realize mm -hmm. that things were really rough. Um, so I was able to get support after the fact. And um, I also even heard um, down the line, like this was years later, um, a director from that agency came to work at my new place of employment. And she, she was with us, like she was really supportive. And she, um, she told me that years afterwards, they still like cursed my name. <laughs> And they would be like, don't be like Lauren um, to different like things. Or like if something was going on, they'd be like, oh my God, we can't have another Lauren on our hands. So it a had meme. a huge, yes, I became a meme before there were memes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it had a huge impact on people. Um, and the organization. And the organization. Yeah. Yeah. It It was, it was big. So, yeah. Lauren, how did you care for yourself during this time? I mean, it's super oh. intense, really yeah. jarring, and it sounds like super scary as well. How did you care for yourself? That is a really good question. I, looking back on it, I honestly, like, don't know. I feel like, I mean, it was such a whirlwind. Um, I think some of what I already mentioned of just, like, going through, like, they have experienced this before. This won't be shocking to the clients. And just kind of like reminding myself of like the neutral way it could be perceived by them. Um, that was some of it. And then um, like talking with my friends who were a little less impacted by it. Um, I vented with the other person who was called into the big meeting. She was actually fired in her meeting. And then they went and told every other agency not to hire oh, her. So she isn't that illegal? was black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like another thing. Um, yeah. And so she never got another job here, but I talked with her about, what happened to us and like we would we we kind of like process through it together did she get a um, so that why was... she was fired like did they say why they fired her no i don't think so no they just were like i think they were like if you're so unhappy you're not working here anymore um yeah so no real reason just like turning her words back at her yeah, yeah. so yeah, that was, I, I think she just totally left the field at that point. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And so, so talking with her, talking with some of my other friends, reminding myself that, you know, this isn't totally out of the ordinary um, for this specific agency. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
that that was really it. And then, oh, throwing myself into my new role mm-hmm. and my new mm-hmm. job. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. My God. I'm just, <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's very shocking. Um, I've shared before on the podcast, like I worked in a school-based health center as well. Um, and we had something similar with our group supervision. We all came from different schools and I loved it so much. Like you're saying, it was a great mm-hmm. opportunity to be like, okay, this is working. This isn't to kind of just talk about our experiences. It's challenging to integrate into an administration and like, you know, operate as a therapist yeah. in the educational world. And and we vented so many times, like I can't even oh, yeah. like that. I feel like that's a very typical thing. So to have that confidentiality and safety like ripped away from you guys with such drastic consequences for so many people, I'm just so floored because I can picture myself sitting in those rooms with my peers in a very similar situation. Not similar right. consequences, of course, but I'm just so shocked yeah. at the agency and how they chose to handle it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, like, even though, like, to the point where I still question, did this actually happen (laughs) to me? And it did. Like, I lived it. Mm -hmm. But I still am like, did that really happen? It feels like a different lifetime. Yeah. Um, And it was only maybe eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it was, it was really shocking. Um, Yeah. Well, I feel like we, so we always ask our guests, like if you were to what advice would you give to a clinician in a similar experience? But I feel like for you, we have many layers of like, I feel like we have, it's almost like that whistleblower. Like if you see something going on, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give? But then also there are so many other situations that came up for this. So I don't know where you want to start, but what would you say to clinicians if they were experiencing any of the pieces of what you went through in the story? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like if you um, are in a place where you feel like you need to be a whistleblower, um, that it's an important job, but it is really tremendous to go through emotionally um, and super intense. And so I would say, if you feel like you are in that position, Um, I definitely encourage you to still go through with it and, and be a whistleblower, but before you do that, to make sure that you have a really solid, like support network of people who are uninvolved in the situation, Mm -hmm. um, tell them what you're about to do. And also maybe if you're able to consult with like, an accountant or something to make sure that you are going to be financially sound through the whistleblowing process. Because even though you're legally protected, um, it doesn't actually mean that it'll go down in a way where you can enact legal protections. Like there was no contract that I signed about this. Um, It was all kind of off like record sort of, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, it wasn't like I called a number and I was a whistleblower and then it like started legal protections. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that. And so they could have fired me and not said, we're paying you through the notice. Mm -hmm. And then I would have needed to get a lawyer involved and it just was, would have been a headache. So like, if you're going to 
go that route. I think look at all of the resources Mm -hmm. that would be available. Make sure you have enough money to pay a a lawyer um, if you want to, um, because even if you win and get protections paid back to you, you're still out that money until it's decided that you win, you know? Um, And so I would say to just make sure you go through that process. And I didn't, I just was pretty naive. Like, I'm just going to tell them this, it doesn't matter. I have a job lined up. Um, But if you don't have a job lined up, it could be very different. So that's my advice for the whistleblowing. Um, My advice, if you um, find yourself in a position where you might abandon your clients, either like, well, it should always be against your will (laughs) that you're abandoning clients, um, is to have something set up. Um, Mm. You know, if you're in private practice, that would be like a um, a professional will, Uh um, something like that, um, so that your clients can be notified um, what's going on and aren't shocked and left with no resources. Um, or making up stuff about you in their heads. Um, So I wish that I had done that. And I don't know if it would have been honored or used in the agency. Um, So yeah, and maybe I wish that I had written letters or at least asked like my friends who are still working there um, if they could go to the schools because they would have been approved Mm -hmm. too. Um, so yeah, I wish that I had done that and I would advise people to figure out how to do that. Maybe write letters and leave it (laughs) with the administrator and tell them at your school and say, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Please give this to my clients if I don't come back on Monday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You had had so much courage throughout all of this that you knew it was going to be scary. Maybe you didn't know how scary it was going to be or how intimidating, yeah. but you still stuck to what you knew was right. And that just speaks so much to my heart. I, I am a big see something, say something person. And I just give you so much kudos and support and love for being able to stick up for what you knew was right, stick up for your colleagues, stick up for the clients. Um, and in a way that, you know, you unfortunately took the brunt of it. Um, but you still, you know, came out, came out swinging, came out good. Um, you knew, but I love that piece of advice, still do it, but know, like prepare and know what you're getting into and you can do it, right. You still can come out the other side doing the right thing. Yes. And I think that's, that's actually another thing that helped me get through it is, reminding myself that one day this will be so far in the past that it won't bother me anymore. And that's mostly true. Um, I still, anytime someone asks to meet with me, like those, like in a collegiate type way, not a client asking (laughs) to meet with me, I'm fine with that. Um, But when I worked at my last job, people would do the like, hey, do you have a minute to check in? Like that type of a thing. And oh my gosh, all the feelings came flooding back every time for years after this happened. It would still happen if I actually had colleagues and wasn't my own boss. <laughs> um, yeah, like that, it's it's a trauma. Like it doesn't go away. Um, that feeling of like, oh no, it's going to happen again. I'm going to lose my 
job. I'm going to lose everything I've worked for. I'm going to lose my career. I'm going to lose my license, even though I didn't do anything wrong. Um, yeah. So, but reminding myself that one day this will be behind me, at least the acute all encompassing part of it will be behind me. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, we cannot thank you enough for sharing this story. Genuinely, I think it will be so valuable for listeners to hear. So thank you for sharing it with us today. Um, And if anyone wants to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me um, probably best through my website. It's um, ferncreekwellness.com. Um, and my email address is on there. It's Lauren at ferncreekwellness.com. Um, and then I, um, have a personal Instagram page. I have a professional one, but I really am not on it very much. Um, but if you're a therapist and you want to connect with me on Instagram, um, you can at Lauren K eight one seven. And we will link everything in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah, thank you. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. And are you a bad therapist and want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air For Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air4Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>